0: Welcome to The LEAP Podcast. This is Kat Fan, Tammy Tran, and Tammy Bowie, your hosts for The LEAP Podcast. LEAP stands for Leadership Education for Asian Pacifics. So for many of you, this might be a new voice. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Kat Fan, and I am so thankful to be introducing to you our second season of the Leap Podcast. For those of you who do not know me, I am the communications manager here at Leap and a sneaky little addition uh, to the amazing Tammy Tran and Tammy Bowie who are holding out of the fort season one as our co-hosts. And here I am now joining the Fords. So in this episode, we get to talk to Bing Chen. For those of you who are not familiar with Bing, Bing Chen is an impact entrepreneur and new world builder, leveraging storytelling and systems to deliver greater social economic equity. He's the president and co founder of Gold House, the premier collective of Asian founders. Creative voices and leaders dedicated to uniting the world's largest populace, Asians and Pacific Islanders, to enable more authentic and multicultural representation and social equity. Our last season was Women in Power. And though we are not giving up that power, season two of the Leap podcast, at its center, It's the two pandemics that have plagued our society these last two years, COVID-19 and the intense racism that not only the API community has felt, but also where our black community and other communities of color and other marginalized communities are feeling as well. And though we get to hear Bing in just a little bit talk about his story and himself in his own words, there was a quote that I found that really transcends the conversation we're trying to have in season two. And it is, our leaders can no longer be just great. They must be good. They can't just represent us in celebration. They must also elevate us when we're in pain. This is, in so many ways, the fight for our lives. And we need fighters who see that. As the season progresses every other Friday, we will introduce you to the fighters in this fight for our lives further ado, it is time to start
1: season two. And then, you know, starting off with just one question, you know, this is more introduction bang. so tell us about yourself. Um, you know, there's a lot that we could assume about you, but you know, what, what if you were to meet someone, What? how would you describe yourself? Someone new. Uh,
2: I suppose I wouldn't describe myself <laughs> if I met someone, to be honest. Um, uh, well, how would your best I, I friend know. describe I, uh, you? Uh, this is going to sound <laughs>
0: Uh, right. Can you imagine that bars like, I'm a nice guy. I am funny. I oh, am yeah. all this Oh, nice stuff, is the worst compliment.
2: Like- <laughs> um, yeah, it just means you have no redemptive qualities, right? Um, no, most people describe me as force of nature, um, which I think is at once an insult and a compliment. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I think not to be pedantic. I just think of my life in terms of verbs, not nouns, if we, if we want to be really annoying. Um, I just like doing things. And so any conversation never begins with who I am, what I do. But if you wanted it, because I guess, I guess, I don't like, God, this is so awkward for me. This I'm, I'm like showing my Asian Southern colors. Um, no, I, mean, I, I,
0: no it, I love it. If there's a place uh, to do that thing, it is here. Man. You know, like take your shoes off metaphorically. Just get some tea. It's all.
2: The, the practical and then put on the other slippers. Um, uh, the, uh, no, I think, I think the, the practical answer is I, I call myself an impact entrepreneur. So I specialize in building companies, taking them to the highest levels, but not for commercial gain only for a sort of cultural imperative. And I can illuminate several examples of that. Um, and then the annoying answer would be, I think of myself as a world builder. So I don't build companies to build companies. I don't invest in films, to invest in films. I don't, you know, create, create a franchise to do create, create a franchise. I don't do any of that for that. Um, I do because I'm trying to build a world that is just better and more equitable than the one we were born into for everybody. Um, so, and, and I do, and the way I approach all of my building, whether it's creative or tech and so forth, is, is through if you were to give birth to a true world, um, not just trying to sort of solve one faculty of it.
1: That's great. That's how your best friend would describe you.
2: <laughs> no, my best friend Jeremy would say that I am the force of nature, very annoying, uh, very loud, um, very. I I don't understand the word when at least when it comes to work the word no. Um, I want I think more is more. I think most is everything. Uh, yeah, I think that's all you describe me. And I, I exhaust him, but it's fine. He actually runs Gold House day to day. So so.
0: Oh good. We'll do like a character reference Yay. at the end.
2: Exactly. He's from the OC as well. Actually, he's from Little Saigon.
0: Oh, wow, great company already. Yeah. Obviously, you have great taste, Ben. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting when you say that, Ben, because it's very intentional, clearly, with like world builder, and you want to have this, I guess, heart that's into it. But another part of it makes me feel like, is that not exhaustive? You know what I mean? Maybe as a force of nature, you don't feel exhaustive. But when you're trying to make this, like, well, as you're saying, like, birth a new world, like, where did that, like, passion come from? Like, how do you sustain yourself because it's is it like a one day you woke up or was it just like all these moving pieces clicked and now you realize like this is what I am mandated to do
2: the succinct idea of what I wanted to be has never changed since I was three years old but of course the way that it manifests and certainly the route there has evolved with maturity and experience and so forth as is I think the case with everybody um I yeah at the end and so w- since I was three and to five I saw beauty and the beast and I was like oh my god why is my life being changed by this Thing that does not exist, and you know when a rose falls, this feels like dreams can come true. And then I went to Disneyland, I was like dreams can come true. And then I saw my father die, and I was like dreams maybe don't come true. And so it was just constantly, how do you just build new worlds where dreams can come true? So that, none of that has changed. Um, I think when it comes to self-care, I think we're all trash with self-care. Um, but I, I think, I don't know, I think about it in a couple ways. One is uh, we do have incredible teams. I have incredible lieutenants who run most of the companies. And so, so that's, that's the most important thing. Uh, worlds and gods do not build worlds. People do, uh, people like us. Um, so I think that's one. Uh, I think the second is uh, I'm pretty uncompromising with self-care. Um, so I work out five, Five days a week for an hour and a half with my personal trainer. I eat extremely well. Uh, I rarely drink. I don't smoke. Uh, everything in moderation, including moderation. Sometimes um, I get eight hours of sleep a night. I meditate every day. You know, so I, I'm pretty uncompromising when it comes to that stuff. But I think even then, I still find myself getting pretty exhausted. Um, and then the final piece of, of the three, I think, is uh, is just being comfortable with pissing people off. And and I don't mean to deliberately be an asshole, but I, I'm very comfortable with being firm and uncompromising if it is in the name of what is right, good, well-intentioned, as thoughtful and as inclusive as possible. Um, I, I absolutely know I have enemies. I could actually probably tell you who most of them are, to be honest, or at least the ones who matter, um, which and I do mean that in a reductive way because most people who mind don't matter. I, I know I'm a very good person. I work my ass off. I know that I am incapable of pleasing everyone. Uh, I know that even all the things I create at the highest levels are still not going to be sufficient for the dream that I have. And and I'm okay with that as long as we get closer to it. Um, And, you know, just part of the, part of the deal is you're just going to piss people off en route to that. And I think most people are not comfortable with it, but but I am so.
0: That's interesting. I think it's like, obviously you are this like force of nature, like you're saying, right? But it makes me wonder, like, do you ever have that conflict? Like when we are trying to learn this vocabulary, right? Of like who we are, whether that's in college or high school or even like later in life, sometimes it feels like there is that internal conflict of like, I can't bring my cultural values to work or to my work to the place I feel most comfortable because my cultural values make me feel like I have to put my head down. Like I have to be humble. I have to be like in the shadows at times. But how do you... Find that vocabulary to really name everything that you're saying of like, no, I'm going to piss people off. Like this is going to be who I am. This is the confidence that I'm going to name for myself so other people can recognize it when I enter a room. Like, how do you even find that vocabulary in the first place when we have like such a hyphenated identity, especially when that hyphen sometimes kind of acts as a barrier between like these two worlds we live in?
2: One is just a deep humility that we're all figuring things out as human beings, and even when we get close to figuring it out, some the paradigm shifts again. The blockchain arrives, we get terminal illness, like whatever it is, and just fucks everything over again. Uh, and so, I think it's just a humility that we're all truly just fi- figuring it out and trying to do our best. Um, I again, I go back to by virtue that, in addition to sort of just self grace and humility, is are you a good person? Are you doing something that is actually utilitarian most of the time? And I, and I, and I think people confuse utilitarianness with charity and it's not. There are ways that you can rise and by virtue of your rising, others can rise as well. And we have to hit both. Um, making sure that we're as thoughtful as possible. I'm not always the most thoughtful person because I'm tired and I have a lot of things, but I try to be thoughtful. Um, trying to be as inclusive as possible. That's also very important and trying to be effective, right? So I think that's where it needs to start is, is within you. Do you have these qualities? I think the second piece, though, is even roses cannot bloom in oblivion. And so I just benefited in this mentality from my parents because I, I didn't grow up in a super wealthy neighborhood. We're very middle class. But I did grow up with two incredibly strong, emotionally, comfortably, financially, Not, and I'm not saying that in the way that a rich person would say that, uh, but a middle class person would say it. Just parents who told me that I was strong because of what I was capable of doing and not a deficit it Because of who others saw me as I was, right? And I think that's really critical to people. And and not everyone, of course, benefits from this because they don't have access to opportunities or this sort of consistent nurturing system of two very, well, at least for a time being, for a while, like two very healthy parents in all capacities. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a as a third culture kid who is one of the only two Asian kids I remember in elementary school to Shanghai to like being sexually fluid, like all the things. I've always just felt like a strong human being again, not because of who I am, but but because of what I was capable of doing. And I think when we shift that mindset from nouns again to verbs, things start to change for us. Now, again, that's not always possible for everyone, but I think, in more cases than not, it is possible. It just depends on, again, if you have the first few and then if you just basically don't ask for permission. Um, and then I think the final piece of being a multi-hyphenate, which all of us are multi-multi-hyphenates, I mean, you're both Asian women, which already has certain unfortunate empirical numbers stacked against you, That though that also means we have an opportunity to reverse them. Um, I, I think we all would agree that Uh, all elements of our composite identity are in the light at some point. It's just a matter of which one do we pronounce when. And and this is a constant, undulative, imperfect dance because none of us are perfect in saying, okay, today I'm gonna be Asian. And when I say Asian, I mean blank, 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 blank. blank. Today I'm gonna be a man. When I say a man, I mean blank, blank, blank. None of us are good at this because one, behaviors are unfortunately very inconsistent because circumstances are are not consistent. Uh, Second is identity and nouns just constantly changing. Like, I'll bring, I'll bring the one that I know well, which is being a man. I've never subscribed to these sort of hyper misogynistic, sort of draconian, deep voice, like football player notions of masculinity. Uh, I saw being a man as strength as someone who could raise the floor, which, if you ask my mother, and she did indeed say this, is actually a very feminine understanding of impact because you're more sort of empathetic you're embracing thing you're sort of nurturing and so forth so actually my perception since i was b- born of masculine again was very feminine that may be because i was raised effectively by a single mother but but again like i think with the multi-hyphenates we're all imperfect in this dance um none of us are going to figure out what steps in the light and even if we do figure it out those notions of what they are what is in the light is constantly constantly changing so i think again i go back to less like oh i I'm the victim because I'm Asian and bisexual and like all the I like I don't think of those things I think I'm strong because of those things and most importantly I'm strong because of the things that my track record says I can do and do better than anyone which again I know not everyone has the privilege of but I do suspect more of us do than we think
1: right Bing you know you, you mentioned your parents and then um, about what well, the influence they have on you and I think this is something that we've talked about before Kat during previous episodes about the influence of our parents um, and the influence of them on our leadership Leadership. And you also mentioned about how your teams are most important, that the, the success that you have isn't just necessarily because of you, but the people that you have surrounded yourself with. Can you talk a little bit about leadership and how that shows up and what that means, especially in the context of leadership education for Asian Pacifics?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing for Asian Pacifics are let's table set. Um, Asian women are the least likely to be promoted to management of any demographic. Um, Asians writ large are, according to Harvard Business Review. By the way, I don't know why Harvard Business Review would even publish that because it seems like the worst marketing tactic imaginable. But here's what it is. Um, so that's what, that's what we have going against us. Um, but but I, I, I think about, like, for us, um, my MO to all things is is not to focus on where we are perceivably weak, but instead where we are strong. So mm-hmm. another way, not focusing on what we hate in society, but instead what we love and what we can hone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that sounds like toxic positivity, but like, I don't know, candidly, the people who look at the world that way are the ones who cure cancer and do all the things. So I think it's the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the, the first lesson here is stop trying to placate an established system all the time. The only way, the only way in society that you can be the best at anything is to be the only person who can do that or the only company that can do that. So to to, to sort of juxtapose this, a lot of people constantly think, oh, I need to be better than that classmate or better than that person in this company or better than this company in that industry. The reality is if you're constantly trying to compete with someone who's to the left or right of you, you'll only ever be incrementally better than them by design. And to make this a metaphor, if you're on a freeway and driving a car faster than someone else by five miles per hour, eventually if you're paying attention to them, you're going to crash. And so I think the first lesson is find where you are uniquely situated to serve and lead. And that is what's going to make you special. Um, And again, the succinct way of saying this is the only way to be the best at anything is to be the only that can do it. The second thing that I think about is raising the floor. Um, We as a species, like we got away from Pangea millennia, millennia ago. And so anyone who builds just for themselves, if they have the capacity to serve and help others is a waste of time and space, period. If you are not and you can help others, you're a problem, period. That It's as simple as that. And so we need to raise the floor, I think, is number two. Um, the third piece uh, of advice, and, and there's like business books on business books, and to be honest, I don't read business books, I find them incredibly annoying, even um, though so <laughs> I'm probably like a business book. Um, but the best leadership advice I ever got was, um, the CEO, president, partner, et cetera's job is to be God, priest, and servant. So what this means is, number one, you have to set vision. That's God, of course, right? People are looking for, when they say leadership, they really mean an idea or direction. Second is priest. Most gods fall short on priesthood, which is to say they can't actually galvanize the masses and direct them to that singular goal. Many CEOs are just idea people, and I don't know. I don't think that's good enough anymore. Uh, now, that being said, in some of my companies, I've become the idea guy, but like I also built them up from scratch. I still get involved, so I, I think I get some grace there. Um, but you gotta be able to mobilize, right? Um, and that's the priest's job. The third is the CEO, president, partner, and God, and priest are the last ones to eat. Just around of- thought um, being servant means you're the last to eat which means I, I hate it when like gods and priests or CEOs and presidents think that we're there to serve I shouldn't say them anymore because I am my boss. Like, I hate it when people think they're here to serve me. Um, I I, like it's a it's incredibly reductive to treat human beings that way. B is like if you are hiring people who are beneath you, you're probably wasting your time and your company's probably not growing. Like, the whole trope of like you hire people better than you, smarter, faster, all the things really, really is true. Um, Yeah. And then I I think the final piece is like, especially in the industries I'm in where we're constantly trying to do things that are singular because the only way to be the best is be the only. We're constantly learning and figuring things out. So almost nobody knows anything holistically. Um, So I think that's really important
0: too. I'm just, I guess for me, maybe maybe the coffee still needs to kick in or something. But like all the things you're saying, like I'm so curious on like how do – how do folks like leaders, like be the best, right? Like be that only person that knows how to do something, but then also encourage others to be their best as well. Like, I don't want to fall into the scarcity mindset that I think a lot of us unfortunately absorb just because of like what society teaches us or maybe what we like subconsciously absorb. How do we be the best? which is like singular, but also as a collective, like raise each other up, raise that floor, like you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I
2: think I think it does come from first of mindset So many of us, unfortunately, did grow up in zero sum environments because we couldn't afford the bills, you know, whether it's mortgages or rent or food and so forth. And so I I think that's one piece that's extremely material that unfortunately impacts almost 50 percent of the population domestically, at least. Uh, What is the stat that 40 percent of us cannot afford a surprise $400 bill, which is obscenely unacceptable on the side of the government uh and sort of just systems um but but i think if for those of us who have grown up in environments where we weren't necessarily zero-sum we do have that benefit of knowing what one plus one can equal and that's of course three um and and so that's that's just like a nurturing mind shift developmental thing um i think the second thing is um I like to live my life as if everything I build from day one has to benefit as many people as possible as opposed to me. Now, the pro of that is that it seems pure, it's philosophically in line with what I want, you know, all the things. The problem with it is I'm not a billionaire. Like I probably honestly could have been had I started my own like tech platform for tribes that I was gonna do when I was 27. You know, um, and one could argue if you are somewhat—I don't even want to call it selfish—but very singularly focused on one thing, and you become incredibly, you know, or it becomes incredibly lucrative, which then means you become incredibly cash flush. Then you can do a lot more, a la Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and so forth. On the other side of the spectrum, you've got all the folks in the wonderful nonprofit world who are trying to, you know, plug the gaps of the government, and they're trying to do the Lord's work and getting paid peanuts. And so there's got to be something in between that is more than just like clean operation chains and all that that like all the fortune 50s are trying to tell um, I'm constantly trying to figure this out we're, we're about to unveil a couple of things through two of my companies in particular that are basically self regenerative economic models um, that at once will reward the stewards who are leading it really handsomely um, but also and I think of tantamount importance um, you know benefit the broader systems that they are they are charged to, uh, to serve um, so I, I think that's that those of us who can do both at once I, th- I like I, it's an, it's the ideal though. There hasn't been sort of a proven economic, economic model for it yet that we are trying. Um, so I think that's that, um, if I, if I really had to give you pragmatic advice, uh, I do come from the school of, or also come from the school of like, I comes before love you, which means I have to be solid before I can engage anyone else. And so I think for each individual, one is looking inside yourself and figuring out what your gifts are, whether they are very tactical, like I'm good at piano, God, that's so tropey, but like or trombone. Um, uh, The The truth is
0: the truth. All good. I think that'll resonate with a lot of our
2: listeners. (laughs) I play golf. I love the piano. I will not apologize for it. Um, But um, I was never forced to play it either. uh, And I still loved it. Uh, But yeah, whether it's a specific skill like that, or you're just generally good with people, I think number one is learning what your superpower is. And everyone truly has a superpower that they are better than most people not all people at the second question and this will undulate with the first is asking yourself what do you actually really really want to be and what are the demands of that profile whether it's in an industry or function and so forth and ideally the more concentric both of these two things are the better right Um, now not all of us have that gift many of us will mistake in the thing we are good at for the thing we should be doing Uh, said another way the thing we are good at for the thing we love and unfortunately often that is not the case Uh, but, but trying to figure those first two things out is really important and then the third piece is then can you actually sustain it and sustain I of course mean financially it's a wonderful thing and, and very romantic to like chase your dreams on shoestring budgets and live with your parents and all the things but the reality is the majority of people who are stupidly successful did not do that um, they were very middle class they had backup plans so forth and so on and those backup plans equaled amount of you know sustainable income so so I, I think those are the, the the three sort of pragmatic things one should do and then once you have good footing once you are as they say in a position which I I still don't know what that actually means like is it a level is it income like I don't know Um, but once you're in a position to actually serve others then you can sort of bring them along so that's what most people will say to do I don't come from that school
1: so, Ben, can we go back to, um, you, you know, to your your roots? I mean, we talked about your parents and how their influence on you. Pat and I and, and Tammy are, are all from Orange County. And I think our experience are similar in a lot of ways and different in other ways. Um, you have such an interesting background. You were born in Tennessee. You spent some time in Shanghai and then you grew up or, or lived in Orange County for a while. Can you share a little bit about that and um, and how that kind of took you to where you are today?
2: Or It, it comes from not a place of being and like pedantic and knowing and all that, it comes from a place of like I've actually thought about this, and 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 I also hate people who are too verbose because they're so inefficient. Uh, but anyway, so I, I say that I say that I have my heart and values from Tennessee, my eyes from Shanghai, and my taste from the OC. And so what I mean by that is um, in Tennessee, at least where I grew up, which is not all of Tennessee, uh, but Knoxville everyone just helps everyone because you help everyone. Because that is the way our species was born. You bring your neighbor sugar without being asked because you bring your neighbor sugar. And, and I think that's where my abundance, very giving, very warm and loving heart comes from. Uh, also my mom. Um, uh, Shanghai, uh, there's no question, Open my eyes up to the world very quickly. I think we take globality for granted these days, post 9-11 with all the connectivity of all these apps and mobile devices and so forth. But back then, I, I mean, no one could even tell you another continent outside North America where I was from. Um, and my eyes were just opened up very, very quickly in my early teenage formative years to all sorts of geopolitical conflict, uh, beginning with the one in the Gaza Strip. Uh, and and I think when you grow up very quickly, um, not only are you forced to prioritize issues that really matter, which are ultimately matters of life and death, uh, in the case of the Gaza Strip, and what was going on there at the time and still is, unfortunately, and has always honestly been. Going on, um, but I, I think I think it also forces you on the other side to reconcile how you can actually be a proactive agent to solve these things. Um, so that's that. And then the OC, the taste thing is honestly the best euphemism I can give you. It, it, the OC made me fancy. Um, I can eat at hometown buffet as much as I can eat at Jean Georges, and I love both. Uh, it's also partly like I'm from the south, so come from that. Um, you know, I, I I happen to care about brands. I don't want anyone to know what brands I have, but I know what brands I have. and and that matters to me, uh, and I blame the OC for that. Um, but, um, but yeah, to be honest, like we moved back to the OC and to Shanghai out of necessity it was for my father's job and then my father's death, um, Hogue, uh, was slash is the, the strongest sort of cancer treatment center in the OC as I'm sure, you know, slash in the country, um, though not good enough. Um, and so we, we moved, we moved. So he could, sorry, morbid joke. Uh, it's been a long time. We're allowed to, uh, <laughs> we're, we're allowed to giggle now because it's been a while. Um, but, um, <laughs> my, my giggling is your permission uh, on this. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, honestly, I didn't like the O.C. Uh, I didn't like the O.C. because I found it incredibly shallow. Uh, it, it was incredibly shallow. Um I just remember, like everyone cared about all the things that you tropishly should not care about. That the CW, you know, sort of mock slash illuminates in their shows. Uh, the beautiful people were the popular kids. Asterisk, I was, of course, in the popular group. I'm not saying because I'm beautiful, but like I'm saying this because I, I feel like by being inside the system, I can, of course, critique it even more. Uh, and I hated it. You know, it was just like, why are we prioritizing physical beauty? All these bullshit things that will not matter once we graduate. Why are we demeaning people who may look differently from us? More often than not, it was because they were lower income, like, so they literally could not afford like, this is all bullshit, you know? Um, so I, I really, really, really did not like the OC. I, I don't fault my parents for moving there. Again, we moved for Hogue. Uh, on paper, it was beautiful. The area we lived in, Sligon Nigel, you know, affluent, it, it, it's at proximity to the beach. Like, it looks great on paper, uh, but I would never raise my children there. Um, I say this now, I probably end up well, which is going to be terrible, but yeah, I, I, guess, like, I, I, I really didn't like it. It was, it was really in short because like people were just prioritizing the wrong stuff and, and that's just not where I came from. So anyway, I'm sorry, OC, which I know is not everyone's OC experience, by the way. Uh, my best friend, Jeremy of my eight or actually nine best friends now uh, came from basically the anti-puddle that socioeconomically in little Saigon. Uh, so I do recognize. Him. And that's way
1: what- and Orange County is changing. I mean, to your your, your point being, I feel like, you know, all that, you know, focus on kind of superficial. I mean, there are parts of Orange County that's still very like that. But I also think with the immigration, with our, you know, with me and CAD and others, Little Saigon, your friends, I think um, that that's going to grow prominently. And I think that's part of this movement that we've seen over this past year, you know, started kind of negatively around the pandemic and the anti-Asian efforts. But I feel like there is a move of more and more visibility, positive visibility for our API communities, um, not just what I see every day. I mean, my, my kids go to school in Orange County in Westminster, Little Saigon, and, and, and 99% are Asians, uh, or I would say 95, and then the, the other 5% are Hispanic. And so their, their experience is probably very different, very different from how you went to high school in South Orange County. Um, but this representation identity thing, it's really important to me as a mom. And I'd love to hear more about how does, you know, your experience kind of led you to go into Hollywood, right? Or go into this kind of entertainment space. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: God, this is going to be so annoying to say out loud. Um, I just, like, I, I, I hate what I'm about to say, but it's true. Uh, I never like, I'm not, the, I'm not the person wanting to go into Hollywood because like, I fame, fortune, glitz, any of like, I could give no shits about that. In fact, when I was younger and like, I, I wanted to do acting and sport and my mother yelled at me and she's like, you're wasting your time institutes. Why would you want to say words that you never wrote that aren't even yours? And I was like, oh my God, she's right. I'd be a professional pretender. Allah wanting to build worlds, I knew that I'd be at the nexus of a few industries and it just happened to fall into technology and entertainment, which collectively we know is digital media. So my, my entry into Hollywood was through digital media, specifically at YouTube and Google. Um, so yeah, so that's how it happened. And, and at a sort of, uh, I guess, conceptual level, and this is how my holding company is structured now today, it's bifurcated into two sensibilities, and those are beliefs and behaviors. How can you change what people think about themselves and about each other, and then second is how can you sustain those hopefully more authentic and affirming and sustainable identities and dreams through different systems products and so forth and and i think about entertainment and tech aka storytelling and systems in the exact same way um so that's how it happened stay
0: tuned for more of the conversation after a quick message from our sponsors surprise i guess in some ways our sponsor is all of you our amazing listeners um, who have stayed with us since season one and also our new listeners who are just tuning in for season two though we mention leap a lot (laughs) not on accident at the leap podcast we just want to take this time to reintroduce ourselves to season one listeners, and give a warm welcome to anyone who is just tuning in. The Leap is a national nonprofit organization with a mission to achieve full participation and equality for Asian and Pacific Islanders through leadership, empowerment, and policy. We are guided by this philosophy of keep your values, develop new skills, because we believe APIs can retain their culture identity and values while developing new and vital skills if you like what you hear please remember to subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts leave us a five-star review and consider donating to leap.org slash donate and with that being said let's get back to the episode I guess something that we'd be interested in being like, at least for me personally, like this idea of representation, it gets thrown out so much that it kind of becomes a buzzword. And I do wonder if it it loses its meaning, but at the same time, is that is that necessarily a bad thing? Because representation means like in a multifaceted intersectional way. So like when you're talking about this idea, like representation, maybe in Hollywood specifically or politically, how what is that necessarily like? What is the weight of that? Because I think a lot of activists, you know, are definitely pushing back on and, you know, rightfully so, like representation is not enough. Like what are these tangible action steps that are literally going to uplift the most marginalized of us but at the same time like where is the starting point like how can you even conceptualize what is possible if you don't see it because not all of us are blessed with this imagination or more accurately like not all of us have or the capacity to have this imagination because we've never been able to hope for something better (laughs)
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've I've several thoughts on this. I think, first of all, I am much more. I don't want to say lenient because that 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 implicitly sounds like I'm pedestaling myself, but I think that everyone is doing the best they can with what they know, with what they have as long as they can. And so if someone is saying representation on Twitter and that's the extent of what they're doing, I, I'm fine with that, I don't care. Um, others would, would sort of bemoan them. I think the second thing I would say is uh, overwhelming majority of time, the people who are complaining are not creating. And in the words of Ronnie Chang, they deserve to go to jail. Uh, and, and the reason why is it's so easy to critique things. It is so much harder to create and the reality is those of us who are actually changing things are creating more than we're complaining and it's because our complaints manifest themselves not as whines but as new creations because we know what the issues are we are asking what the issues are we are holding town halls to understand what the issues are and we're doing something about it and the reality is talking is actually not enough um, so i think that's number two we need to create more than we complain um, the third piece i would say is there is more than enough evidence that demonstrates that representation and media is actually enough or a powder keg to being enough. Um, exhibit a see every world war from any any country at any level and see the propaganda that pervaded newspapers tv fictitious writings and so forth media has single-handedly defined and cemented the identities of whole communities in these wars and created new enemies uh and and again there's an abundance of examples of this you just look throughout history a more recent one i would say is through uh the sort of rise of immigration um I distinctly remember when NBC became the first TV network to basically outlaw the term alien and illegal immigrant in favor of undocumented immigrant. Now, this is literally the change of one word, right? But by no coincidence, that shift reorients how we think about how we welcome, how we integrate, how we enable and support people to thrive who come to this country, right? Uh, And that's just a word change. That's not even an image, right? Um, And so anyway, there's just an bunch of examples that indicate that's enough. Now that being said, how do I think about representation? I don't think any single thing is panacea because no single thing has ever been panacea. So all the more when the Twitterati activists or or keyboard activists lament that like, talk is cheap, whatever, like, guess what? Like, everything is cheap in isolation. Um, And so the way I think about representation in particular is one, how do we ensure that we are investing in both the right creators and creatives to be their most accurate and authentic self? Um, Second is how do we ensure that their stories, work, projections are as ubiquitous as possible, particularly in places, places whether they're virtual, physical, or just in, in individual eyes, um, that they really need to be seen because right? one of the challenges I think we have with all this multicultural work is it's basically a circuitous echo chamber. And unfortunately, fortunately, our community is not necessarily the one who always needs to hear what we have to say. Um, and then the third piece is, are we actually sustaining this once again financially? You know, um, I, uh, how do I say this politely? Um, uh, we, Goldhouse, one of my companies has absolutely been one of the dominant sort of progenitors of reshaping API prominence in Hollywood. And I can give you all the stats and all the things. Uh, 99% of what we've done, most people will never know about. Um, And it's probably because like we just don't like to toot our own horn uh, because we're just here for the work and that's what matters. Um, And also because like most people don't care. They care about the lowest common denominator of activism, which is just like posting about it and taking credit for it, even though they didn't do it. Um, And so the reason I mentioned this is we've really focused on what are the systemic changes from executive positions to concrete financial investments, to reshaping distribution pipelines to ensure that this can actually sustain itself. Um, and, And it does take... That, as well as a strong creative class and in investments to, to ensure true and full representation. Um, so, anyway, so there's a couple of things I think about.
1: That's great, Bing. Um, And I think that's core to what Leap tries to do in terms of all their leadership programs. And can you share a little bit about how you know Lindo or how you came about to learn about Leap? I think that would be great to to have on the record.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think um, when I was at Google, I just, uh, I was, I I think, I think I might have been 25 years old when I realized this. Um, But I was basically in all these meetings and I was... About tech age today. There we go. Um, but no. I, so I, I mean, as is canonical, unfortunately in tech, um, Asians are 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 quite prominent on the technology functions, but quite absent on the business functions. Um, and so I was in the business functions of of YouTube slash Google. Um, I remember just most of the meetings I was in, I was not only the only Asian, but the only person of color, and by far the youngest by several decades in many cases. And I was never bothered by this because I'm often the youngest person in the room I'm in. I'm, I'm now finally in rooms where I'm not the youngest, which is very scary for me and, and very depressing, to be honest. Um, but but I remember, I just one day, I, I don't know why it just bothered me. Um, and so I started reading up on this. And then this is, of course, when I learned that Asians were least likely to be promoted to management. Um, I started wondering why, because both of my parents were phenomenally successful. Both of them were CFOs of major corporations. My father, a fortune, uh, I, certainly four, 500, maybe 100, I don't remember. Um, but I, I, just, I didn't come from this world. you know, And so I was like, well, why is this the case? Um, and I learned about two or three organizations, Leap, Ascend, and Apex, um, that were doing really, really great work to try to basically fix this. Um, And specifically by getting more APIs and not only executive ranks, but also C-suites and boards. Um, So that's how I first learned about it. And then I remember, I think the first time Linda uh, and I got lunch was in Little Tokyo in LA. I don't remember what year it was. but no, she's, I mean, you know, like this is just, like so bubbly and like, I don't know, I really, I really like bubbly people because um, life's too short um, to be anything else. Um, so yeah. So that's how I know or learned about Leap.
1: That's great. And what's you, what's been your involvement with leap? I mean, I know you're our featured podcast, I guess, today. But what, how have you been involved with Leap?
2: I haven't been, to be honest. And it's probably.
1: Oh, good. Glad we got that on yeah, the
2: record. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh- <laughs>
0: and now we're going to fix it, Bing. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's, it's a reflection of me, not y'all. Like, I'm in the startup world, y'all own such startups. Um, and so it's as simple as that, you know? But, like, if I were still at Google and YouTube, like, I'm sure we'd be doing gazillion things together. Um, but, yeah, no, that's it. But obviously very supportive. Uh, I can even tell you, like, even Goldhouse, you know, one of my companies that supports APIs, we don't even touch Corporate, You know, we, we only touch startups. Um, and I think it does take that dual approach in anything, but especially in this work of reversing least likely to be promoted to management of cultivating the next Fortune 5 CEOs, SVPs, VPs, but then also encouraging the startup ecosystem to become C-suite by founding their own companies. Um, and I think, you know, with, with our powers combined, as it were, things are already changing uh, and, and will continue to.
0: I think, Bing, you've like touched on so many... Really like enlightening introspective intersectional aspects. But I think one event or one like has the catalyst for a lot of the work that we do, or maybe like a shift of what a lot of groups are doing now, was like the violence of like against our elders. And of course, like unfortunately, the shooting of in Atlanta. Like, I know that completely rocked my access, like, it completely shifted the trajectory of my career. And I know that Gold House and your other initiatives have been doing work to uplift but it makes me wonder too like we're all human at the end of the day like how did that affect you personally and like how if at all and how did that maybe change like how you viewed the barriers between like personal life and work life
2: i think uh i think it impacted a couple ways i mean one is it's impossible to see majority elder majority women get attacked and not think of my mother. Um, Just because after my father passed away, I was 14, 15. I mean, she is is the economic, emotional, everything center of gravity. Um, So I I was, I think like most people as part of the five stages of grief, I think like in denial and pissed off. and, and that was that, but because I'm my mother's son, that didn't honestly last very long. Uh, we pretty immediately got to work uh, and tried to be really, really thoughtful about what was actually hitting this. Um, and so I, again, I think about things in duality. So I have this pedantic theory that once again is very annoying, um, called carrots and sticks, not to be confused with the foreign policy um, uh, strategy, but the idea is that to like rectify any form of crime, injustice and so forth, um, whether it's heinous crimes on the street or just, you know, let's say lower admission to colleges or whatever have you, um, you need both abundance opportunity building vehicles like carrots, and then you also need corrective punitive measures like sticks. Um, and you have to have both to fix things. Uh, and so uh, immediately, um, A, Goldhouse I think, just felt very affirmed by what we were doing in our existing strategy, where we are absolutely a carrot organization. I'm here to grow the pie, not fix a world that we are handed that I don't think we deserve. Um, that being said, like we, we realized the media need was we just need to get money and central sort of support because um, no one knew what to do. Um, and so luckily, GoFundMe, Musa Treat the CMO over there, was already thinking about this as well and gets a lot of flowers with him and his team, Laura Donaldson in particular there, uh, um, as well as Kelsey. Um, But we basically said, one, we need to create a central repository of how people can actually help, how the masses can help, Um, because it was just scattered all over the place. And then second is the majority of people who are being impacted were lower income. And when you're lower income and you get a, a hospital bill, and oftentimes these folks don't have actually healthcare plans, that is not only just soul crushing, it's just like practically speaking, damn it. You literally cannot afford it. Um, and so we started what is still the single largest fundraiser for API tax. It's multiple millions directly to victims, uh, whether they need a new car because their Toyota was burned down in one case, uh, or they just need medical bills, um, including sort of emotional trauma. Uh, and then it's also millions more to local restorative justice oriented organizations. Um, and I was really proud of us. We were the first major national effort to prioritize local groups as opposed to the big national groups. Um, um, and I say this as a big national group. Um, and, and this is important because for this level of support, we need to make sure we're really nuanced and specific. And the reality is no broad sweeping organization can ever go as deep as a local grassroots org. Um, and for many of these folks, like as you know, $25,000 grant is life-changing because many of them were just run off volunteers, right? Um, so that was one. But the other side is, you know, once again, we can't just operate through life by what we hate or trying to fix things that we don't like. We have to show the world what we deserve and what we dream of, and that's the carrots. And so i that's where all of Goal House's work from our material media efforts, where we ensure that we're, our stories are accurately portrayed to facilitating their financing, to ensuring that they're seen on the broadest stages, all the way to sustaining that influence economically through the next great unicorns that build industries and define them. That's where that work just became even more important, even though we we're already doing it. Um, and so uh, we have like a three-phase 10-year plan at Goal where we're almost to phase two but phase one basically got accelerated um, or the end of phase one I should say got accelerated because of stop Asian hate specifically on economic development um, so that's that's how I think we're impacted um, where are we now um, I think the, the other two factors that we think about now that, that we did think about before but we didn't do as much about is unfortunately attacks against minority communities were actually up across the board um, it, it wasn't actually unique to us ours were just televised now I'm not trying to decenter us or, or lament that you know oh we got more attention, that's a bad thing. Like, obviously, it's a good thing. But I want us to remember that, you know, in this game called life, no one makes it out alive. And certainly in the case of attacks during COVID, everyone was impacted. And so, because everyone's impacted, whether you're on TV or not, we all have an obligation to fix this. Um, I think the second place that we need to get smart about fixing is, once again, not in the sticks, but the carrots. Uh, we are about to have an enormously jarring, and in many cases, especially for small businesses, already happened, but enormously, you know, jarring economic. Experience experience. That's just not fun. Um, And so we owe it to each of us, whether it's at a local scale of making sure you buy from your local blank right business uh, all the way to the highest level of trying to build companies that will solve this in a really inclusive way. Uh, We really need to make sure that we're supporting everyone in the way that hits everyone and that is in their wallets and purses. What we
1: ask all of our guests is can you tell us how you've taken a leap of faith? And I think what you've shared is you take leaps of faith every day. Maybe you can close out just talking about how you've taken At least a faith throughout your life.
2: Yeah, I mean. I, I think you just said it, to like, I think, uh, I mean, I come from the school where you should do something that is productively uncomfortable every day. So I'd say I leap every day. Um, I think we, sh- the only way that you actually leap is if you jump, the only way you jump is if you walk, the only way you walk is if you crawl and you have to have this every single day. It's a muscle. Um, and so, yeah, I absolutely try to leap every day. Um, whether I land well or land anywhere is a different story, but yeah, I don't know. I can hear my Asian mom tell me there's no A for effort because there's no A in effort. Uh, uh, which which I do subscribe to, by the way. Effort does not count unless it achieves, which does have an A in it. Um, But uh, on that note, um, thank you all for having me.